0: Y'all sound pretty when you sing, you know that? Please be seated. I think we need to dismiss some children, don't we? Is the kid still in here? Well, if the kids are still in here, you're dismissed. If they're not, then those of you that feel like kids can be dismissed. Well, we're having fun. We're just enjoying being in the house. And you guys sound really good singing. And I'm sure even, you know, we're on the radio all over the place. I'm sure people sound good at home too, don't you think? Because they're worshiping under the Lord and singing with us. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to continue on in our series. The series is called Bring the Book. And we're learning about what it means for God's people to follow God. What it means for them. How do they find where God is? How do they know what God is doing? And you may need to turn me down a little bit upstairs because I'm feeling excited this morning. And I might get a little bit too loud in here. I just want you to know that God is still today, today, current day, in the business of speaking to his people, leading his people, that they would follow him in such a way. Now watch this, not to be religious necessarily, but to experience him and know him in everyday life today. And how did people do that? Historically, in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they did that by going together to listen for God's word. What is it that God says, and how does he speak to us as a church and to families? And in order for us to know that, we have to bring the book, bring God's word. It has to be central to our lives, central to everything that we do, and that's what we're learning about. Over the next three weeks, we'll look at Matthew chapter 13 and study what does it mean then for us to properly, properly receive God's word as he brings it to us. In essence, what we're going to see is God's word comes from his heart. Every letter, every jot and tittle, cross T and dotted I from the scriptures comes directly from the heart of God. And what we want to see is how can God's word come from his heart and make its way and penetrate into our hearts so that as it plants in our hearts, as it finds a place in our hearts and rests in our, our soul, our life, our, our heart, then it will and by result produce fruit and there will be a result. So we can say that when God's heart connects with man's heart with his word, there should be tangible results that are God results. And that's what God wants to do in his people. So how do we do that properly? How do we know that we're making sure that we receive or that we hear God's word properly? And that's what this parable is all about. Matthew chapter 13, read with me beginning in verse 1, if you will. On the same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables saying behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, watch verse nine, the last verse of our focus this morning. Jesus then says to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we know that this isn't the first or only time that Jesus uses this phrase for those of us that have ears to hear, let us hear. Obviously, Jesus is referring to something additional, something more than audibly understanding what the words mean. So, so they have ears, all of them have ears, except for those that maybe have lost them. I would imagine that's the minority. Most have ears, and most have ears that work properly. They, they can still hear. Many of you have your little tools in there, so you can hear properly this morning. And so we, we all, in a sense, have ears, and, and we can hear, most of us. So Jesus obviously didn't mean if you can pick up the sounds of my voice and put the words together, then you're listening, then you're hearing. Actually, there's more to it. He says, for those who have the ears to hear, let them hear and understand what it is I'm saying. For those who have properly positioned themselves, for those who are ready to implement and to move forward based on what I say, that's having ears to hear. Let that person, let those people, let that church, that family hear what I'm saying. You see, Jesus is about to say some things and teach some things that not everybody's going to get. And that's what he's saying. It it literally means to, to have ears to hear. It's about being prepared to hear the Word of God. It literally means the preparation process. It's all determined before you hear the first word, whether you will actually hear him. Having ears is about preparing to hear the word of god so i might say this morning do we have ears to hear and of course our first response was always, yeah duh of course we got ears to hear most of us are hearing but do we have ears are we prepared do you, are you prepared that when god speaks and reveals whatever is in his heart that it might be different from what's in your heart it might be in contrast to the things that you naturally are are, are, are form of a former form of doing right so it might be something that rubs you the wrong way or comes in contrast you don't agree with Have you decided already before you hear God that whatever he says, he's right, and you will do and line up with what he says? Some of you are shaking your head. If you haven't, take just a moment and prepare yourself, for we're about to hear God's word, and he's about to share with us. Uh, Let's first break down the elements of this parable. We're going to be looking at it for some time together, and so basically there's three things to look at. I have two of them on your notes there. The first one is the sower, that's obvious, he's the farmer. Then The second thing to look at is the seed that, that he casts out, there's, there's some seed. And then finally, what we want to look at is the different grounds or, or soils, as it were. So, first of all, the sower, that's God himself. God is the one who has the right to distribute the truth. God is the sower who is a masterful agriculturalist in our lives. He knows what he wants to do in your life and in my life. He already has in mind, you understand, the fruit that he wants to bear in your life. And he knows that in order for the fruit to be Uh, born out to come to fruition in your life that at first he's got to plant the seed at first he's got to reveal his truth to you in his word and so he knows the seasons of your life and he knows the timing of what it is that you are prepared to receive and he knows how to speak it and he knows all those things that a farmer would know who's really good at growing crops he's the great perfect farmer he's the sower but what's the seed and I think we need to be very careful here Oftentimes we say, well, the seed obviously is is God's word, and sometimes if we're not careful, we we, we come to view the meaning of this as specifically the gospel portion of his word. That is, uh, Jesus died on the cross, and the message of salvation, forgiveness. That's the seed in which is is cast out and and falling into different soils. And I want to show you this morning why we know that that's simply not true. It's not a reference to the gospel itself, and here's, here's how we know that to be two things. Number one, as he begins to tell this parable, he says, as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Now, I'm going to let you in a little secret, and you can thank me later with brownies and cookies. Jesus gives us the answer key to this particular parable, if you didn't know that. So we just skip over very quickly to verse 19, and Jesus explains a little bit about the seed right here. Watch, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. So Jesus says, the analogy here is a guy who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, and then the wicked one comes and snatches it away. I got news for you. There are some things that Satan, the wicked one, could snatch away from your life. But there is also one thing that even... Satan himself can never snatch away from your life. And that's the gospel of salvation. It's a gift that's received by grace. It's it's unconditional. And when it's planted in your heart, it will bear fruit. There's no condition necessary. You will receive eternal life when you accept the gospel of salvation. But there are some things that come from the heart of God, in addition to after salvation, where he wants to begin producing fruit in your life, And those things, those things, if we're not carefully prepared, according to Jesus, the enemy can come and snatch them away before they take root and bear fruit in your lives. That's this word of the kingdom, the word of kingdom growth, the fruit that God wants to do in our lives. So the seed is the word of God, but specifically the word that's we have a choice that's conditional. Do we want to respond to it? Can it be taken away? Can we miss it? And then the final element is, of course, the soil itself. The soil represents your heart, my heart. I believe Jesus is speaking to everybody in this group, the ones that will hear, who already know him and are prepared to walk and follow him. Those are the ones who have ears to hear, and what he's saying is, how about your heart? Let's check and see how prepared you are. What's going to happen when I speak? Will it produce fruit in your life? And so number one, we're looking at the hard heart. And that's all we're going to look at today, just the hard heart, and then we'll be done. And I give you some time to digest and practice that and, and, and go to before the Lord and see what's going on. And then we'll come back and look at the next one next week. So Jesus is sowing the seed, and some falls on the wayside. And what's the wayside? You know, the wayside really is just the pathway, If you and I were to be farmers or agriculturalists in that day, we would all have our fields of crop, and your field would be next to my field, would be next to somebody else in here, their field. And the only thing that separated those fields, to know which one was mine and which one was yours, was a fairly narrow pathway that separated them. And the way for me to get to my field without interrupting And causing chaos in your field is to walk on the predetermined pathway. And so on any given pathway, there could be a number of people or peoples at any given time walking back and forth. And what happens to that ground as we walk over it and over it and over it is it becomes very hard and compacted. That's the wayside. The wayside is hard as a rock. And the word of God, the seed falls, and it sort of, in a sense, bounces on top of the wayside. And it just sits there. It's not really penetrating. It's not able to take any root yet. And here's what you need to know. Guys, you don't have forever for God's word just to sit there waiting for you to respond. There are some times when the enemy of God wants to interrupt the process, and if your heart's not able to receive it, to, to take it in and let it begin to grow, if it's just sitting there on the top because you've become so hardened and resistant against the things of God, then what happens is it's snatched away before you ever even get a chance to have it make a difference in your life. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That's what he's trying to teach us. So, let's look at first the problem. The problem is that these people with a hard heart hear, but they don't understand. Hearing, but not understanding. H- how do I get to the place where I would actually hear God speak, but not understand Him? How do I get to that? How am I, what, what's this concept of, I heard Him, but it's not making any difference to give me the right perception? And I think in order to see that, we need to turn another place in Scriptures. So turning your Bibles all the way back to Ephesians. Over to Ephesians. Chapter 1. Just, just for a moment, let's take a look at this concept of understanding. What it, what, what's about this understanding? And Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus about, I think, the very same thing about how they're responding and what it's potentially going to do in their lives. So the problem is that they're hearing but not understanding. So we want to look at what it means to understand. And we begin in verse 15, chapter 1 of Ephesians. It says, There I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Watch this carefully. Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus to the believers, the brothers and sisters in Christ who have already chosen to believe by faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They've already been redeemed. They're part of the church. And as he's speaking to them, those who have already received Christ, he said, my prayer is for you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you may in the spirit uh, that you may, by the glory of the Father, he'll give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul's praying that this is something that they would receive, as if to imply that maybe it might not happen. It's not something that's automatic, so he's saying, I'm praying that you guys receive this. Keep going. It says, he's praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the power, working his, his mighty power. Now, watch, I'm just gonna highlight a few words that we just read. Here's what Paul's praying. Here's what is to be prayed for the church, the followers of Jesus that they would have the spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge of him, understanding, hope, riches of an inheritance, exceeding greatness and power of God. All those things do not automatically come to play in our lives. It's an understanding that's much needed. A much needed understanding. You see, there are certain things, circumstances, and events that are going to happen in your life. Just understand this, church, okay? Just know this to be true. You don 't have within you the proper perception to be able to deal with those properly, appropriately, in a way that pleases God, that produces fruit in your life. Are you with me? You, you, don't, you might think you do, and, and you know some, some people are very wise and they've been through life and have lots of experiences or lots of education, or, or just very mature in their way of thinking, and all that's fine, well and good, but none of us, not one of us, even in Christ, on our own, in our own capability. Have it within us to be able to properly perceive what is at stake in any given circumstance. It's an understanding that is needed. In other words, it has to be shown to us by the Spirit of God who dwells within us. Guess how He does that? The Word. The Word. So that's why it's not good enough just to know your Bible. That's wonderful. Please know your Bible. Please study it. Memorize it. But don't just rely upon your knowledge. Every single day, the Spirit of God takes the words off of the pages and from His heart directly into your heart to give you and I understanding so that what we're facing next week that we didn't face last week, we're able to perceive correctly. Why do we need to perceive correctly? Because God wants to bear fruit. And the way we perceive it determines how we will respond to it. The way we perceive it determines how we will respond to it. So we respond in a way that bears fruit by receiving a much needed understanding. It's also a much required understanding. Uh, According to this, there is power available. I think I'm reading it right. You guys double check me. He's praying that, and I, I pray that you would know what all these things are and then verse 19 said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Oh, I've got to just share with you. That's actively who believe now, currently, present and future. Not just a reference to having believed in Jesus in the past. You understand that the greatness of the power of God is not always naturally right there for you. You and I are still required to live by faith. We're still required to believe God. And when we do, there's great power in his response. Now, once again, let me walk you through it. You and I, because of who we are, you just just realize that's what he's showing us about ourselves. Because of our hearts, we don't always respond to crisis and trouble, and challenges by faith, do we? It doesn't happen first thought. Maybe for some of you it does, and you're, you're spiritual giants. I, I, should be, I need to follow you every day and see what it is you do, but for me, there's a, there's a struggle at, at stake. There's a wrestling back and forth. There's a, a conscious period of time where I, am I going to believe God that He's freely faithful to provide for me, or am I not? And oftentimes, watch this, oftentimes it's when God begins to even reveal His word, how faithful He is that I finally decide, yes, God is faithful, and He's worthy of me trusting Him here. I need that. It's required because I can't get there without it. can't get where. To produce fruit. Can I get through life? Yes. But will I get to produce fruit that God wants to do? Maybe not. If I don't receive this required understanding. Finally, it's a much valued understanding. It's valuable to God. Want to see? It should be valuable to you. Turn back to Matthew chapter 13. Just just very quickly, I want to show you this. How valuable is it to you? Turn back to Matthew chapter 13. Now we didn't we didn't get very far, but just look for a minute, at verse 16. We'll take a sneak peek. Look at verse 16. At the end of the parable, he says this: But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Blessed, blessed are your eyes and your ears when listen, not you don't have a hardness that prevents the understanding, but you understand what it is I reveal you not just having ears to hear what i say but you hear what it is i'm really saying my word is penetrating into your life the bible says that jesus says blessed are you for that you're blessed i know we want to be blessed am i in the right church is there anybody else in here that wants to be blessed by god other than me come on you guys look a little sleepy this morning i'm not going to stand for that wake up listen god wants to bless his people and he wants to bless you I know sometimes it's work and it's, oh, i got all this to do this next week and ho-hum and molly grubs and everything else. But listen, this week, God wants to produce fruit and bless you. He wants you to be overwhelmed with his goodness. He wants you to know, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Not just a memory from years past, but he wants to do something currently in our church this week. But in order for that to happen, we have to first understand what it is that he sees. How valuable is that understanding to you now? It's very valuable. That's the problem, getting this understanding. Now let's look for a minute at the process, the process. Turn back over, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 3, and I want to spend just a moment on this passage. And what I'm referring to is the process of a hard heart. So the problem is that we would be so hard, calloused, resistant, that God's word wouldn't even be able to penetrate. We wouldn't understand what it is that we're reading and hearing from God's Word. And the the question then becomes, what's the process of this heart getting to the place where it's like that, where it's hard? Now, Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, and we just never have enough time, it seems like, but I want to show you this. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 are probably some of the most central core passages for the church in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, in our relationship together, we will be in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 a lot when we look at the church and our lives today. So, so you might just mark it. In fact, I saw this this morning. I just picked up my Bible to write some reminder notes in it as I was preaching this morning. I don't know if you can see it or not, but in, in, in the middle, there's these two great big lines all over the page. This is the only page that I can find in my Bible that's highlighted like, hey, these two chapters right here, focus on that, and here's what I want to share with you. I didn't write those in there. My daughter did. She has sat under my teaching and my preaching for so many years that in her own Bible, this was hers, in her own Bible, she said these two passages are central to what it means. The reason I share that with you is because I want you parents to know that your kids learn in church when God's Word is taught. They pick it up. Anyway, Back to the story here, Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews is making some very specific references to an Old Testament people. You'll remember, of course, the children of Israel, the Lord's plan to produce fruit in their life was to lead them to the what? The promised land, that's right. Why do we call it the promised land? Well, because it was a land that was promised by God. By the way, it's still promised by God, it doesn't belong to anybody else, it belongs to those people. Those people called the Jews. No extra charge for that one. The Old Testament children of Israel had come to this place where God said, here, here you are, a people. Now watch this carefully because it helps us apply it correctly. Here you are as a people who have been delivered from slavery. Okay? The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. They were in slavery. They could not get out. They were mistreated. They were horribly, critically judged And in the middle of that, they cried out for deliverance, and God set them free by coming and allowing each one of them to pass under the blood of the Lamb. Come on! That doesn't excite you? What a picture of salvation! The Old Testament children of Israel came out of slavery. God delivered them by each and every one of them passing under the blood of the Lamb. The the innocent lamb was slaughtered, the blood was spread, and under that blood, they passed into deliverance. They were set free. I'm telling you, there's no greater picture in all the Bible of salvation than when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. Do you agree? Now they're God's people. And they're wandering through the wilderness on this journey of life. And he brings them to the promised land. And he says, here's what I have for you. Now watch carefully. What I have for you Is not your salvation. You've already been saved and set free. What I have for you is something that I want to do in your life after I set you free in salvation. The promised land is a land of abundance and blessing and fruit. God wants to produce fruit in his people. And so here they are. By the way, I don't care what kind of music it is, if it's chorus music or choir music. I don't care if it's Christian rock or Christian rap or hymns or whatever it is. If it ever in a song refers to the promised land as a picture of heaven, throw it away. It's not doctrinally correct. Am I in trouble? Did I get myself into any trouble there? I'm just saying we should be accurate to the scriptures when we sing, whatever style it is, right? Right? And the scriptures, be very careful, because we make application from here, the scriptures say that God led the children of Israel to the promised land to do something beyond their salvation to accomplish his purposes. We know that's true, because the first generation came to the edge of the promised land, and they decided not to go, and guess what? That was their choice, and they forfeited it. We know it doesn't mean they lost their salvation. What did they forfeit? The fruit. The fruit. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about right here. Read with me, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, watch this, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They go astray in their heart. They they have known my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God speaking, saying, the writer of Hebrews is, in a sense, quoting God, saying, He told those people, which people? The ones who wandered in the wilderness, who knew and tasted and saw that the Lord was good, received His law, decided they didn't want to go into the promised land, and He said, I swore in my wrath they will never enter my rest. Now, this is tough stuff here, guys. This is a little bit strong. It's God's word, not me, so I'm hiding behind it. It says they forfeited something God really wanted for them. And we know that entire generation, except Joshua and Caleb, died with their bodies scattered on the wrong side of what God wanted to do. Why? Verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not, here it is, mark it, Harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So, this passage is a reference to how their hearts, the process of the hardening that took place. Now, watch this. How is it that the children of Israel, like, all that God did. You remember a couple weeks ago, the, the water in the wilderness and the food that he provided and the shelter, everything that God did for them. How could they get to such a place where God says, okay, ready, I'm about to give you the best thing ever. Come over into the promised land. And they say, no way, not going. How did they get there? Because there was a hardening of their hearts to where when God said, trust me and go by faith, it could, they could not receive that understanding. And so they made their decision based on the next best thing. Their own understanding. And guys, they missed God. They missed His fruit. They missed His best. The process. First of all, there's the rebellion. It said there in verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You can, I think, see it again over in verse 15. Today, if you will hear His hearts, do not harden your hearts as in the Rebellion. That term there, that, that concept of re- rebellion really translates sharp word of sort of annoying you. That, that's my best I can do to translate what it means. It's, it's resisting and irritating you with a sharpness about it. Now, here's my illustration. Most of us are parents or have some experience with parents, right? <clears throat> have you ever seen or have you ever experienced When your child goes through one of those phases, where you just okay, you love them, and you want the best for them, but if you're honest, you want to kill them. Come on, you've been there. You just want to strangle them. You know when they get—that's just a weak moment in our part. But you understand, we get there because at that, you know, the kids go through this phase where they're just constantly saying no. Everything you as a parent or grandparent do or try to teach them or lead them, it's know this and I don't want to do that. And it's just every area you run across, they're just resisting you. And you get to the point where you're just done. You're fed up. Unfortunately, most of us don't act on it, but we want to adopt them out. That's, that's what rebellion looks like. The people of God here had gotten to the place or whenever God was trying to move and to do something and to cultivate in their hearts, they just resisted even the little things. They just, they just started pushing back against what God said. You see, at first when they weren't in the wilderness, it was whatever God says, we will do it because we need Him. But at some point, it was well, wait a minute, what about <clears throat> what about the quail that we used to have? What about, what about these pagan nations around us? They don't have to do all that. They, don't, they have kings and homes and Or you know it, they just started pushing against what God was saying. Listen, that's the beginning of a hardening heart. When you find yourself standing in your own mind against the ways of God, you just, you push back some, and it begins to just sort of callous or build up. The solution, whenever that happens in your life, here's what I'm praying this morning, I'm praying there's a a little mini revival that breaks out into each one of our lives. When you sense that there's that's happening in your life, the solution is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's the solution. You just need to practice saying it. Everybody say it with me. One, two, three, yes, Lord. Lord. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Yes, Lord. Okay. That needs to be our framework from which we approach everything God says remember peter jesus came to peter and when they early on when they first met and he got into peter's boat and he said set out into the deep and peter's like Mm-mm, lord listen i'm a fisherman i know we just went out there there were no fish he started to argue with the lord right as if that's smart but what i love is in the same sentence it says nevertheless at your word And so Peter responded, he started to resist, he said, yes, Lord. And he set out into the deep, and they put their nets, and what happened? They had so much fish, they couldn't haul it in. That's fruit. What did he need? He needed God's understanding. How did he get there? By opening up his heart, peeling away the calloused rebellion, and saying, yes, Lord. That's what we need to do. Number two, look in verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today... Lest any of you, much like the children of Israel did, lest any of you become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the second part of the process is the deceitfulness of sin. Now, notice it's not necessarily just talking about acts of sin. It's talking about how sin deceives us. What happens, listen, if I were to tell you today, okay, in order for you to not to have a hard heart, you need to go out this week and not sin. Now, ready? Go do it, church. You should flog me if I say that. That's crazy. None of us expect that that's reality. We don't even think God's Word really teaches that. It's not about that we are perfect and without sin. That's not the hardness we're talking about. What happens is unrepentant, ongoing sin begins to deceive us in our lives. You know what that is in your life, by the way. And I'll just be real serious right here. I'm not, I'm not going to be goofy here. I know in my life, and you know in your life, those areas where you just have already decided, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing that. It's okay. I'll do these things right, but this one area, I just, you know, I'm only human. And it's a pattern. And it just goes on. And it goes on. Here's the danger, folks. Here's the danger. Just like the children of Israel, what happens is our perspective gets to the point where we are no longer able to see the way God sees. The sin, unrepentant, ongoing, building up of ongoing sin in our life, calluses, it sits on the the crust and the top of our hearts. And, And before you know it, we start doing other things that we never thought we would do earlier or before. I see this all the time in my own life and in the church well, it's just this one area, it's just one thing, but the problem is that that's going to become another thing, and it spreads like cancer. And the reason it spreads like cancer is because our thinking gets warped by our own sin. Uh, Let me just, yeah. One of those areas. I'll be real with you, church, okay, And, and if you're listening on the radio or this message later on, this applies to all of us today there are some things that have just become culturally acceptable in the church, but yet they're still sin. We need to really watch out for those things. Somehow they've slipped their way in and the church, if we're not careful, the church life can have ongoing unrepentant sin to it so that the church is calloused as a body and we're deceived as a church by our own sin. That's why so many churches are going goofy today. we don't want that to happen in our church we don't want to happen in our lives just one one of the areas that i have seen that will deceive a church in unrepentant sin more than anything else in my experience is gossip gossip and slander somehow that's just not one of the serious sins anymore Like if we came in and and I found out you or you found out I or somebody in our church murdered somebody last week or they they were the ones that stole Rob's truck, you steal Rob's truck. I don't think so. I don't think so. But, you know, if we found out there was that kind of sin going on in our church, we'd all be appalled. We, We would not accept that, would we? We wouldn't allow that. But for some reason, gossip has just sort of wormed its way in there, and we just, oh yeah, well, you know, that's so-and-so. and It's okay to talk about them. And the slander goes on. You know what that is? That's tearing down of another person with your words. I'm just, I'm just going to set the bar as high as God sets it for us all this morning. That is never okay. Not if it's called a prayer request or on the prayer chain. Not if it's couched in, well, we just want to help them. Listen, if you want to help them, go talk to them. Don't talk to somebody else about their failures. And I'm not saying I see that in our church at all. Okay, guys, I'm not saying we're a gossipy church. I haven't even been here long enough to know if we are. I'm not saying that, okay? What I'm saying is that's always a danger we need to be aware of in church life. And we just need to hold it out the door and say, that's sin. sin. And we don't do that here. We don't tolerate it. We build one another up with our words. We lift. We edify. With my words, I seek and you seek with your words to lift me higher and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That way we won't be deceived by our own sin. And we'll have a nice tender heart instead of a crusty hard heart as a church. So what's the solution there to this this deceitfulness of sin? Repent. Repent. And seek the truth often. I like to say it this way. Repentance is one of God's greatest gifts to the church. Did you know that? The reason that I say I would like to see every Sunday for all this full front area of the church, all the altar to be full of people, is because that represents people who have a repentant heart. You understand that? I don't care if it's a reflection on me or not. It's not about me. And was the sermon good enough to get you to come forward? you got to hear my heart. I don't give a rip. What I am deeply concerned about, what I am moved by, what I am get up in the morning and, and can't stop thinking about on Sunday, is that all of us would come to the place where we respond when God speaks to our heart. And nine times out of ten, that has repentance built into it. It's not you're a weak Awful person because you're up forward at the altar confessing your sins or responding to God or promising that you'll do His word. It means that you're tenderhearted. I'm reminded of a story very quickly. My own mentor tells me these stories that I've learned so much from. He learned this from his mentor. It's just a story. Perhaps you've seen it, perhaps you've not. It was an old Baptist church in Texas, and it was very southern in style and tradition. And they had the old altar call every week, and people would come forward. And there's this one old man in the church, a small church, but there's one old man in the church who who walked with um, a walker, and he was kind of slow and rickety, and every single Sunday, doesn't matter what the sermon was about, doesn't matter what the topic was, even if they didn't give an invitation, every single Sunday, he got down the aisle and made his way all the way up to the altar, and it took forever, and he got up here, and everybody else was done, and the music was playing on and on and on, and there he was, and he'd make his way back, and the whole church had to wait every Sunday. Now listen, the chairman of the deacons came to him and said, you're going to have to stop doing that because we're getting to the restaurants later than everybody else. (laughs) Now, you laugh, but I think I just hit some nerves. I've heard it already. Don't even go there. And this deacon, leader of the church, pointed his bony finger in this old, tender-hearted man's face and said, why do you have to do that? Every single week. And the old man looked right back at him and said, so that I don't ever become just like you. (laughs) He had a point. His point was, I don't want to be so hardened and callous that I'm more interested in getting to a restaurant than than I am God doing business in the hearts of His people. And for people taking time to worship Him and pray to Him. That's the kind of spirit we want to cultivate in our church and in our families. And if there's one four-year-old child that wants to come forward, or even at your own seat, stop and pray and repent and get right with God. Let's do it. Let's do that as a church. That's the solution. Thirdly, they were disobedient. How does this hardening process happen? They were disobedient. Verse 18, and to whom did he swear, I'm still in Hebrews 3, Verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Now this disobedience, the word here, doesn't reply to the things that we do wrong. It replies to the things that he he wants us to do right, but we're not doing them. Those, God wants to be doing something and needs to be doing something in your life, and so he shows you so that you will do it and and respond and you and I just choose instead just to not do it. It's easier. Apathetic. Complacent. Just, you know, I'm good. I've got it covered. I'm not committing any big sins. Well, that's great. Praise God if you're not committing any big sins or even if you're repenting of them quickly when you do commit sins. But the question is, what are you doing actively in response to God to obey Him? And so what's the solution to disobedience? It's very simple. I'm going to give it to you. This week, hear God speak and do it. Hear God speak and do it. Do you know how incredibly fruitful our lives would be this week if we just simply said, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it? What he said, it's an exercise. I'm going to go, I'm going to listen for whatever God says in his word, and then I'm going to go do it that day. If people did that, even if they forced themselves to do that, there would be amazing testimonies of God working powerfully in our lives that week. Just like that. Obedience brings blessing, obedience opens the heart and cultivates and plows up the hardness that's in our hearts so that it's soft. And listen, when that happens, God continues to plant. And it continues to grow. That's the solution. Take a faith step. Which leads me to the last one. Um, In verse 19, again, he's comparing this to the Old Testament, and he says, this generation, these people, verse 19 says, so we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Why were they disobedient? Because they were unbelieving. They stopped believing God. And by the way, those two words, disobedience and unbelief, are very closely related. They both deal with trusting God's word and believing him, being convinced that what he says is right. God is faithful, church. God is so faithful. You you know it's true. In in our church, we have the stories and the testimonies. He's faithful today. He's faithful. You can believe him. He wants to, young people, married, struggling, listen to me. He wants to provide for your family. He wants to give you hope in the middle of your hopelessness right now. He wants to give you a solution that will take you from the pit from the low parts of despair and frustration and he wants to give you his own thought and his own solution and he wants to bring you up out of that pit into a place where you see above the pit. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? That's what they failed to do. They got to this place where they just said, you know what, I just, I just don't think God's going to do that anymore. One of the areas where we can really check ourselves and practice this is in the area of tithing and giving. And you, you know it's true. I don't really have to preach to you about this. But you know the principle of tithing, giving to God first? You know that's God's training wheels for us to learn that He's faithful? That's how we learn that He can be trusted with everything else in our life. Listen, If you're not tithing and giving faithfully, sacrificially, generously, and trusting God to provide for all your needs, you haven't even taken off the training wheels yet. God wants to do so much more. So much bigger things. And so I'm challenging you today. Bud and Julie, members of the church, visitors of the church, we say we don't ask for visitors to give. That's fine. I understand that. I'm I'm saying give. Give to God. Give to others. Give away sacrificially what God has given you and trust Him that with whatever's left over, He's going to provide for exactly what you need. And it might sting a little. It might hurt a little to do it. But listen, that's how we plow up the fallow, hardened ground of our heart. We begin doing things that God says to do because we believe Him by faith. How am I doing? Am I in the right place? Does it resonate? Does it seem like God's speaking to your heart this morning and revealing some things to you? I sure hope so. We're going to close up. As we head back to Matthew 13, I want to take a little pit stop at Romans chapter 10 because I want to show you one of the solutions here. Romans chapter 10. There's a progressive cycle that happens in the life of believers as we're cultivating our heart. We keep it soft and we keep it going doing something. Watch here, Romans 10 just very quickly, verse 16 they have, not all, have they not all obeyed the gospel? For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed our report. Now look at verse 17 So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God You're having trouble trusting God and believing God that he can provide for you and you need to cultivate that Let's start with going back to the word which builds faith By hearing the word of God builds our faith and then when we hear it, we respond to it and that continue, continues to build our faith, cultivates and plows up the heart so that it's soft and, 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 and fertile for God's Word. If we ever stop hearing the Word of God, if we ever stop listening, if we ever stop reading, our faith is going to wane. It's going to struggle. So God's Word is the solution To prevent our hearts from getting so hard that we can't hear from God's word. Finally, the result. What is the result of a hard heart? Well, we're back in Matthew chapter 13. Read it in verse 19. Jesus himself interpreting the passage gives understanding by saying, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. It was sown. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Here's what I want you to know. The word of God, the fruit of God can be snatched away. If that's something that you don't like to hear, you think, That's not what I've always been taught. That's not what I believe. There's something not right about what I just heard. If you you prickle at the sound of that statement, you've missed something. Because that central passage that I referred to in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 says this, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't make the same mistakes that this generation made back in the Old Testament. How did they make it? Because they were set free and delivered, saved by the blood of the Lamb. And after they were set free on that journey, they got to the place where they just stopped believing and trusting in God. And what happened was, the fruit that God wanted to do in the life of Israel was snatched away. How do we know that's true? Well, you know what? They never made it to the promised land. And we see it again when they get into the promised land. And they're divided into two kingdoms. Snatched away taken into captivity by the Babylonians, snatched away. All because they allowed their hearts to get so hard that when God tried to plant what was in his heart into their heart, it would not penetrate, and so it sat on the surface, and it was blown and snatched away. Now, I got an idea. You don't want to be there. I know I don't want to be there. So what are we going to do about it? This morning, we're going to take a few moments to have an invitation time, and I'm going to ask you first and foremost to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, you need to do that right now. There's a heaven and a hell, and it's all based on whether you're going to be judged for your sin, held accountable for your sin. Jesus died and shed his own blood so that your sin could be forgiven, and that's the only way. You trust Christ today. This is your time. Secondly, I'm going to pray that every single one of us find areas of our life that are hardened, that are calloused. Or maybe we just don't even want it to get there. And we're going to respond by committing to the Lord. Lord, I will not be rebellious. I will not, I will do this what you've told me to do. I won't resist you. I will commit to hearing your word. Whatever it is you need to decide to do to prevent that hardening. Let's pray. First, let me talk to those who need Jesus Christ as Savior. There's never been a time in your life where you have accepted him, his death, burial, and resurrection. Here's the prayer. Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I can't get to you on my own. So I trust in your death, Lord Jesus, your burial, and your resurrection, the shedding of your blood for my own sins. And I trust you, accept you by faith. And perhaps you've prayed that prayer and you know Jesus is your Savior. And this morning it's just, how am I going to respond to you, Lord? What what steps can I take? And I want to invite you, church, please, I just want to invite you to respond only if the Lord's leading you. to Come forward. Spend a few minutes maybe standing, sitting in the front row, at this altar, this place of worship. And I just want you to just, just respond to God. Say yes, Lord. If you said it and you meant it and you want to come forward and seal the deal with God in a prayer, I'm going to invite you to come right now. Go ahead. You can start coming. Maybe there's a hardness developing and you just say, Lord, this is an area I don't want to get hard. I want to to soften. I need to obey you here. You've said to do this and I want to do it because I want to believe you. And that's your heart. If God's speaking to your heart, stand up, come forward, and worship. I don't want to be a child of yours that doesn't hear you, Father. Or have in my heart such a hardness that you won't be able to bear any fruit and do what you want to do to bless me. This morning I've seen these areas, maybe here or there, just even little indicators. I might not be believing you by faith or I might be finding myself resisting and arguing with you. Lord, what we want this morning is to be a people before you whose hearts are soft. Lord, plant your word in each heart. Prayer this morning is that it, it's buried deep and won't be prevented from getting in penetrating by our own choices but we're ready and willing to be that people Joshua and Caleb yes Lord Peter nevertheless at your word Lord I will I feel like this part of me that doesn't want to but I will because I trust you